0: Week three, Joel told us that sin brings shame and blame and conflict and deception, but God doesn't leave us abandoned that through confession and through repentance that we can be redeemed. But again, so what? If it doesn't change anything, what are we doing? Last week, David had a very tough topic. I was sitting over there going, I'm glad he's preaching this. God created us unique and distinct in our roles, but sin devastated that. But now, God calls us through Christ, because of the cross, we can live in unity, we can walk as one, but again, so what? So what? What does it do for us if we just listen? Certainly, we don't want to be like the people that Paul t- warned Timothy in Second Timothy. These are church people, he says. Watch out because there'll be people who will have an appearance of godliness but deny its power. They'll be ever learning. Oh, they'll always want to know, tell me what the Greek word for that is, pastor. I'm not going to do it, but I want to hear it. They'll have a form of godliness, but deny its power. They'll never be able to come to a knowledge of the truth. And so I just, I I think we've done a lot of work in four weeks. So what? I would much rather be like the psalmist said in, in Psalms 102, he said, let this be recorded. In other words, let's do something worthy of being Remembered. Let's put the work in now so that it's written down so that a people not even created yet will praise the Lord. Parents, you want to leave a legacy? Do something that's worthy of recording so that when a generation's not even here yet, her grandchild's grandchild's grandchild will go, oh man, let me tell you on the shoulders of whom I stand. One of those two scriptures is going to come true. Do we want to be ever learning and never able? Do we want to build something on which our kids, nobody will ever even know my name, and they'll praise the Lord because of the work and obedience that we do here. Are you with me? The first question is, how do we now live? The second one is like it. How do we leave a legacy? How do we live now so that we leave a legacy? Let me bring it down to a more local level. How do we fulfill the mission of this church? Which is to give every man, woman, and child within our area of responsibility, which is 10 miles, With it, put a dot on Google Maps and draw a 10-mile circle around this building, and we, our job is to own the mission to give every man, woman and child in that 10-mile radius multiple opportunities, multiple not just one, not just Sunday morning, multiple opportunities to hear, to see and to respond to the gospel of Christ. And you do that through three ways: gospel-centered worship, gospel-centered community and gospel-centered mission. How do we do that? So those are the two questions I want to dig into. How do we live? How do we leave a legacy? And I was just thinking about this, going, I don't want this to be a pep talk, right? I don't want it to be some sort of rah-rah, let's charge out of here, motivate. I don't want that. I want something deeper to happen. I, I want discipleship to happen. I want us all to have conviction of heart that there's work to be done. Not that God's badgering us. Please obey. Would you, do? if you have time in your day, it's no. We want to in glad submission to this gospel mission that we go. Oh, that's the right thing. That's what gets me up early. That's what keeps me up late. I want a disciple. And so I thought, well, what topic do I choose? <laughs> what do we talk about? Now, finally, I texted Joel and Charlie, and I said, I can't get away. I can't get away from this one topic and I ask this question that I think God asked me. Jeff, what's the one thing that hurts the marriages the most? If you're gonna end this thing talking about one thing, then why don't you talk to them about the one thing that is devastating marriages on every front? How many of y'all were at the marriage retreat with us down at Hilton Head? You're gonna hear it again. And I think that's probably why Because it's it's just still on my mind. And here's the topic. As you turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, it's unforgiveness. It's devastating us. Whether you're married, whether you're single, it's absolutely eating our lunch. It's devastating the oneness that we have in our marriage. It's devastating the transparency that we live in community as we walk around in unforgiveness. There's this quote. I don't know who uh, is credited with this, but it says, Unforgiveness is like eating rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die. Anne Graham Lotz, who's the daughter of Billy Graham, is credited with this quote, that a good marriage is the union of two good forgivers. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is the topic I think God has chosen, and this is for everybody. You don't have to have a ring on your finger. Walking in the freedom of unforgiveness, the, the poison of unforgiveness is something for all of us, right? I mean, even, I, trust me, that's my chair right there. I need to hear this because I, I'm really good at harboring stuff and then coming to church in a tie, making it look good, Right? So I want, I want to read, and in fact, I want you to read with, with me something out of the King James, old school. And the reason I chose the King James is because I think you'll, you all know this one, right? It's the Lord's Prayer. Everybody, even if you have little interaction with church, you probably know pieces of this. And so I want us to read this out loud, starting in verse 9. I'll say the first line, and then you pick up where you know you should pick up. You ready? After this manner, therefore pray ye... Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's read verse 12 and 13 again. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we forgive as we forgive. You know what that word there, let me give you a Greek word. The word we there, ego, is the Greek word. Ugh. Stings a little, doesn't it? Look at Matthew chapter 7. The very very next chapter, it starts out this way. Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged, for the judgment you pronounce will be judged, and the measure you use will be measured to you. Luke 6 says it this way, very plainly. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. So we've got a a big responsibility in this. We have to forgive so that we can walk in forgiveness. Are you with me? So we've got to do our part so that he does his part. It's a partnership. The question is this. What is forgiveness? (laughs) Isn't it odd that we don't have a definition that jumps into our minds? What are you doing when you say, I've forgiven person X? What are the steps you've taken to say, I've forgiven this person Isn't it crazy that we don't have an instant gospel-infused answer? And so I think we get tripped up and when we say, I forgive. And what you're really saying is, I'm tired of dealing with it, so I'm trying to forget it. And that's what most of us are saying when we say, I forgive. I'm tired of dealing with it. But the bitterness, when you see that person again, you're like, right? You know what I mean? That's that's what we're saying to forget. And it's eating our lunch. And, and, and now you go home with that person and five years down the road, ten years down the road, there's 25 different things that you're, it, it's sketchy to even talk about it. Unforgiveness is eating our lunch, both in the married world and in Christianity. And so I want to talk about how do we do this. The term forgive or forgiveness is a legal term. It's a legal term. It happens we, we violate God's law. And so we need to deal with forgiveness of violating that law in God's law, right? So it's a courtroom scenario that we're going we're gonna to do that. And if you're at the marriage retreat, I apologize. We're going to do this all over again. And so I want to walk you through the four steps of forgiveness, answering this one question, how do we now live? You with me? And you guys are going to play. You're going to get to participate. And so we're going we're gonna to handle this in, in, uh, visually as a courtroom setup. And so we're going to split the room right down here. Now, how many of y'all have been to court? It's okay. Raise your hand. Yeah, I'm not going to ask you why. I'm not going to pass out a microphone. I'm just going to say, how many of you have been in court? Joel's like, okay. Right, it's okay. It's all right. How many of you have watched it on TV? That's a little safer question. So it's typically laid out the same way in any court in the land that you go to. And so we're going to say that this is the courtroom. You entered through the door back there, and, and we're going to split the room. Who typically sits down on this side? The victim, right? And, and they're represented by? Somebody said it. The prosecution. So the victim and the prosecutor's here. Who, who sits up here where I'm at? The judge. I, I get to be the judge today. Don't make me mad. I'm just kidding. So who's over here then? The defendant and who represents the defendant? The defense attorney, right? And so there's the scenario: five different positions in order for you to achieve forgiveness is as you come into the courtroom. You're the victim, and you guys are going to play the victims this morning. You don't have to hang your head or anything like that. And you guys are going to play the defendants. You don't have to cross your arms and now you're going. You ain't got me, copper. No, I'm not. You're just. Let me. Matter of fact. Let me talk to you all for a minute. Let's do some business. Who's hurt you? Who's violated you? Who do you need to forgive? You can do that this morning. I'm just saying. Or you can just sit and listen. But I'm just telling you, you got a chance to make it up. Feel accused? Anybody feel condemned? Let's deal with it. Let's get forgiveness. Let's offer forgiveness, but we have to do it using God's process for forgiveness. Here's the first step. You've got to take your place. This is what I think eats our lunch the most. We'll walk into the courtroom because our spouse has hurt us or our friend has hurt us or our coworkers hurt us or our, our boss has hurt us and we accuse them and then they go, well, wait a minute, the only reason I did that was because you did that and now you're on the defense and, and they're the victim. Then you go, well, the only reason I did that was because you, and now you're the, def- and, and you're, you're switching roles. You can't have schizophrenia in this scenario. You've got to sit in the seat one at a time. Take your place. Walk into the courtroom committed to being a victim and until you've dealt with that don't you dare sit over here and if you need forgiveness don't make excuses of why you're the victim sit down sit as the defendant and trust the process take your place it is a huge deal the second step is obey the rules of the court are you allowed to talk to each other in a courtroom Can y'all talk to one another? No. Who do you address when you're in court? And if you don't, you're out of order. And you're in contempt. Let me ask you a question. In this scenario, who's the only person in this courtroom that has the legal right to forgive a crime? Who? We got a problem, don't we? You don't have a legal right to forgive. Uh-oh. <laughs> so when you say, I forgive you, you don't have a right to say that. So what is forgiveness? To ask for forgiveness from them, you don't have, they don't have a right to forgive you. Talking to one another is not going to solve the issue until you come to court and follow the process. Take your place. Obey the rules. Step three, onto the process. The Bible says it this, this way. Trust God. Am I a good judge if I'm God? Am I a good judge? Do I know my law? Do you trust me that I'm going to see this process to its rightful end? I'm not going to make a mistake. I need you to just trust me. Take your place, honor the process, trust me. The fourth step is to testify. So let's play this out. What crime has been committed? Do you have it, this section, victims? Do you have your crime? You got the hurt? We can only deal with one at a time. So it better be the biggie. You got it? You got the one that you need to have forgiveness for? You got it in your head? We all do. I've got mine. I'll tell you mine. Mine's passivity. Passivity. The last couple of months, I've eaten my lunch in certain areas, and I've just been passive. David preached about it last week, and it just so convicted my gut that I stand guilty of passivity, and so I'm sitting here today as a defendant being passive. The first step is this. The prosecution is going to read the charge, and then I'm going to ask you, what is your plea, guilty or not guilty? Guilty and then you're going to tell me one of those two. Let's just assume you're not guilty. Well, the interesting thing about me being the judge is I'm omnipresent, meaning I'm everywhere all at once, and so I'm kind of a witness against you, right? So I was there when it happened, right? Don't worry, I I was there when they did this to you, so I'm kind of a witness against them, and so really guilty is going to be the verdict if you need, right, right? I mean he was there watching me sit on my couch and moan and whine about my circumstances instead of discipling my kids, loving my wife. He was there. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna be guilty. Right? So let's just say the testimony's all done and I've 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 the gavel guilty is charged. Isn't that interesting now that we have established guilt and you guys have not said one word yet? Not one word. Now, in the sentencing phase, who gets to talk? The victims. Who do they talk to? The judge. And what do they say? This is where you see this all the time on courtroom. I I spent a lot of times, a lot of years as a policeman, and so I got to see this process play out thousands of times. And the victim gets to tell the judge what they did to you. The hurt that your husband did to you, your wife did to you, your ex did to you, the the hurt that your parents visited you because of the crime they committed, you now get to pour it out to the bench, not them. Are you with me, victims? You don't get to talk to them because they can't forgive you. You have to talk to me. And... My word says I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm here all the time. You can talk to me as much as you want. Pour out your heart. Tell me what they did. Tell me your hurts, your wounds. This is why Christ came. I came to heal the brokenhearted, to bind up, right, to set free. You pour your heart out in testimony to me. And when you're done, here's what forgiveness, the word in the New Testament for forgive means this release this is where we really mess up we want, we want our pound of flesh and we grip so tight and until they come crawling on their knees instead of just going God they're not going to get away with it Romans says that, that vengeance is mine says the Lord right release. Do you want to be a victim your whole life? Or do you want to walk out of the courtroom free? Then you have to release it. It has to be a, 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 a step you take. Judge, your honor, I release them. I don't want to be a victim anymore. I want to walk out free. I release them. There's not going to be any crazy DNA evidence. There's not going to be any crazy witness, a surprise witness. They're not going to get off the hook So you've got to trust me and release. That's forgiveness. God, I, really, I trust your process. I don't want to stay in this courtroom anymore. I, I don't want to be a victim anymore. I release. And listen, you can do this as often as you want. You leave, you go out in the parking lot, and this whole thing eats your lunch again, right? You can come right back in the courtroom. I'm always here. God says, I'm always here. Yes, come on in. Testify again. But at the end of that testimony, I need you to release them to me. I've got them. You follow me, victims? Now comes the sentencing. My laws are hundreds and hundreds of laws, 600 and some odd laws. One penalty. So it's a pretty easy sentencing phase. You're going to die. The death penalty is all that God's law knows as a punishment. He's a just, right, and holy God, and he cannot stand for the belittlement of his name, the rebellion of his people, and so the soul that sins will surely die. But here's the deal, defendants. Let's identify a couple other people in the courtroom. Who's with you at your table as the defense? You have an attorney, right? Right? The Bible calls him an advocate. Who is he? Jesus. And so let me just kind of play Jesus. I get to play God and Jesus this morning, so this is a pretty cool morning for me. And so I just go, hey, Your Honor, let me, can, I, can I have a moment with my client? Yes. Hey, listen. It doesn't say who has to die, right? It says there's no forgiveness of sin without blood being shed, right? That's what the Bible says. But it doesn't say whose blood. It just says blood, right? And so a couple thousand years ago, I didn't do anything wrong. And they killed me. And so there's blood that's available to you. All you have to do is make a motion to exchange it. You got it? Okay. We're done, Your Honor. Thank you. Okay. What say you? Your Honor, can I just fall on the mercy of the court? And just exchange? Because I don't want to live a life as a defendant. I don't want to walk around guilty all the time. And now you get to walk out free too. Are you following me, defendants? That's forgiveness. That's forgiveness. Friends, the truth of the matter is when the Bible says forgive, I'm bound and determined to follow that carpet. When the Bible says forgive so that you can be forgiven, do you know why it says that? because you can't sit in the two seats at the same time. You have to offer forgiveness and release as a victim so that you can walk across the courtroom and sit in the seat as a defendant. All have fallen short of God's law, yes or no. We all blow it. We all deserve to sit over here. You don't just live the life of a condemned. You've been victimized too. Sin pervades everything we do. If you've been married for longer than five minutes, you know that. And if you've been a parent for longer than 30 seconds, you know that. And so you've got to give yourself permission to forgive so that you can be forgiven. Is everybody with me? This is the largest crowd I've ever had to do this in front of, and so I'm really concerned that you're not going to get it. How then shall we live? You live by walking in forgiveness. How do you have a good marriage? Walking forgiveness. In forgiveness how do you be good parents walking in forgiveness how then shall we live by walking in forgiveness how do you minister the gospel of Christ without feeling guilty because you're a hypocrite because you realize that your forgiveness compels you I'm now qualified even in my my passivity and my junk to now preach the gospel I'm not a hypocrite I'm forgiven And so I can stand here and say, it's pretty cool. Come be forgiven. But you've got to do it God's way. You've got to walk into the courtroom. You've got to take your place. You've got to obey the rules. You've got to honor the process. And then you have to testify. This is called prayer. The second question. How do we leave a legacy? We're free now. We've got forgiveness, right? You're no longer defendants. Now we're just Congregation Church of Cane Bay, right? You're no longer the victims. We're, just, we're free people now, right? We just processed forgiveness. We've processed forgiveness. Everybody is released. Now, what are we going to do about it? This goes back to the, this question so what? So what? Walking in forgiveness has, is, compels us to do something. Not to hold this stuff to ourselves, but to leave it, give it away. This is why we have a high-level responsibility. This is what keeps your pastors up late. How do we get this message out? How do we offer other people forgiveness? How do we preach this? How do we, how do we minister to people? How do I live my life so that my, my neighbor sees me and says, man, there's something about him? Walking in forgiveness, leave a legacy. I want to give you four steps to leaving a legacy. So we had four steps in forgiveness, so we have four steps to leaving a legacy. The first one is simply get God. If we want to walk naked and unashamed with our spouses, we have to walk naked and unashamed with the Lord. Look, let's go look back at Matthew chapter 6 at verse uh, 33, so we started out with the Lord's Prayer, then we talked about forgiveness, and now we're going to talk about how we get all that. Verse 33 says this, and you guys know this, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. We've got to get God. Remember that we, at first week, I, I, we went to Deuteronomy 4 and Deuteronomy 6, and I said, how, do we, how are we supposed to love God? Deuteronomy 6, Matthew 19, Jesus said this was the greatest of all commandments, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, everything you have. I ask you this question, if you fulfill that command, is there room in your life for another human being? Yes or no? There's no room. Jesus said the second command is like the first, love others as yourself. So you love God so that you can love others. Jesus said this, if you come to me, you're thirsty, come to me, I'll give you water. Oh, out of you will flow rivers of living water, and they flow onto your spouse, your kids. But you gotta be overflowing in order for that to happen. Are you following me? You've gotta put in the work of getting with God. This isn't some religious, perfunctory kind of I do it because I'm supposed to, check. Went to church, check. That's not the way we get filled up. Box checking is Old Testament. Walking with Jesus is messy, daily, ongoing. And I fill up and I spill over and my wife benefits and now I've got a better marriage. Then my kids benefit and I got better kids. And then my community benefits and now I'm leaving a legacy. Are you with me? We've got to get God. The second one is we've got to get community Remember in Genesis 2, God said, Adam, it's not good that you're alone. And most people say, yeah, you got to get married. That's not what that verse says. It, it, he didn't say, it's, it's not good that you don't have a spouse. That's not what he said. He said, it's not good that you're alone, meaning I designed you to be in community. Look at Acts chapter 2. It's, it's kind of a lot, but I just want to read. This is the de- description of the church, the bride of Christ. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds of all as any had need. They were building buildings and daycare centers. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's community. That's the church that smote Jesus' heart. You've got to get God, and God will drive you into community. You've, the two are inseparable. This is where you find missional communities. And in that missional community, you're going to find one person. I'm going to find one man. My wife's going to find one woman to get alone and and, and have accountability, which is our third one. We've got to get accountability, and that's called huddle. So we get God, we get community, we get accountability. Look at Proverbs 27. You guys all know this verse. Iron sharpens iron. So one man, general neutral term there. So one lady sharpens another. Let me ask you a question. If I have two pieces of iron and they're five feet apart, are they ever in danger of sharpening each other? It's not until those two pieces of iron get alone in a coffee shop or in a living room and start holding each other accountable and being transparent with one another that they begin to sharpen. Look at this verse. I love this verse in Psalms 141, and I quote it quite a bit. Because it's one that we don't typically draw, we don't run towards this verse. Let the righteous man strike me. Sorry. Let the righteous man strike me. And look at the result. It will be a kindness to me. It'll be oil for my head but I have to get close enough and transparent enough with him so that he can strike me and say, Jeff, that's not good. What you're doing is not healthy. The passivity that you've been living in the last couple months is not good. What are you going to do about it? Let my head never deny that. That's called huddle in this congregation. Ecclesiastes 4, you guys know this one too. Two are better than one. They'll have a good reward for their toil. If one falls, the other one picks them up. Look at the end of that verse, and it says this, a three-stranded cord is not easily broken. The middle part of that, it says, woe to him who is alone. Because when he falls, there's no one to pick him up. Guys, this is typically our problem. But ladies, you guys struggle with this too. We're doing community. I mean, I got 1,200 friends on Facebook. How stupid is that? I don't know half of them. I don't know most of them. I might remember their name or where we worked or went to school together. And so I I could say, man, I'm ultra connected. But yet I'm so isolated because there's not another man that knows my junk, can hold me accountable, strike me, because he loves me enough to do that. Let me ask you a question. How much time do I have left? Okay. Okay. Jesus looked at the Pharisees and he said, You brood of vipers. Pretty harsh language, I'm thinking, in those days. You dead men's tombs full of whitewashed bones. Snakes. Did he love these men? Did he die for these men? He looked at Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. I know there's a lot of theology that you want to do dances around that, but in the end, his boy Peter heard him, get behind me, Satan. Do you think Peter walked away and went, man, he loves me so much. He called me Lucifer. It stung, but yet he loved them enough to strike them. Interesting, isn't it? I think a lot of churches, and I don't want to take shots at anybody, but this whole kumbaya, let's smile and get together and laugh and invite your friends, and we'll grow numerically, but there will be no discipleship, by the way. We'll just eat a lot. I don't want that. Do I want to grow? Yeah, I want I want Cane Bay to flourish and I want the message to get out. I want to send people as disciples of Christ, but we've got to get in discipleship if we're gonna have any hope at all of, of spreading the gospel, right? We've got to get God. We've got to get community. We've got to get accountability. And I'll close with this. We've got to get help. I love this quote. I don't know who said it. But it says, it has to be okay to be not okay. It's just not okay to pretend that you're okay. It's got to be okay to go, I'm not, I'm not good, and I don't want to stay that way. I mean, I got a tie on. I look like I'm in my right mind. But what if, what if my marriage is a wreck? What if my debt has got me doing some really crazy things? What if my kids are a disaster? You wouldn't even know it because I pretend really well. See, nobody's going to drag you into this process, Friends. You've got to take the risk of getting, trusting God, walking in forgiveness, and then get in community. There's strength in numbers. And I think you do that really well here at Cane Bay. I told you week one that he would never tell you this, but churches come from all over this state going, how do you do this here at Cane Bay? How do you have over 100% participation in missional community? Nobody, don't, nobody does that. It's unheard of what you're doing here at Cane Bay. But don't rest. So we've got to walk in forgiveness. We've got to leave a legacy. You've got to go to court and get free in order to leave a lasting legacy. Are you with me? I feel like I've made kind of a mess. And so as the worship teams come, let me just give you some coaching questions. that um, I would love for you to ask Yourself, this first one. In your life, where do you see unforgiveness of others? Make a list of names. And, and you, can, you have permission to put your own name at the top. We didn't even get a chance to talk about how do you forgive yourself. But I think you know how. You've got to testify what you've done to yourself and then you've got to feel the forgiveness that Christ offers you on the cross. Are you following? Second question. What does unforgiveness cost you? Count, count the cost of not forgiving Third, write down the name of one or two people that you need to forgive and commit to daily prayer and accountability. Get God, get community, get accountability. You don't have to take 37 people in court at the same time. Just one at a time. But you gotta make a list. You gotta start somewhere. We've gotta walk in forgiveness. We've got to leave a legacy. Let me pray for you. God, God, I do feel like I've made a mess, but I know that you are faithful to speak in the midst of my chaotic words. God, I pray that throughout the last few minutes together that your spirit has spoken, and that you, despite of me, have spoken. invite you with your eyes closed and your head bowed. Put your hands out in front of you with your your fists clenched. Just stick your hands out in front of you. Clench your fists up. What's inside of those fists? Who is inside of those fists? It's time to let it go. So God, I pray as, as you have placed the faces, the names, the incidents, the hurt in the hearts of your people, that you will so minister to them that when they're ready in worship, they'll open those hands, never to clinch them again. God, I thank you for who you are and what you offer us. In Jesus' name, amen. i